You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Miners, on the other hand, have continued to bleed. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, they, they puked. You know, they, they sort of made like a V-bottom type thing or a potential V-bottom, which is what we think it is. We think that puke out we just saw a week or two ago uh, is probably the kind of low you won't linger around much. You, you could come out of here in a sharp, sharp manner. There's some momentum trigger levels on the miners. In fact, we ran uh, Newmont and Barrick couple, uh, two weeks ago. So on a percentage basis, if one were to go long gold now, or go long silver, or go long miners, I think those who go long silver and miners in the next upturn will make far more in the, the next several quarters than will gold in terms of percentage gain. This is MSC. I'm Bill Powers. Thanks for tuning in. In today's show, we're going to be getting an update uh, from a gentleman we haven't spoken to in about a year, analyst Michael Oliver of Momentum Structural Analysis. The website is olivermsa.com. He looks at the markets from a momentum standpoint, not just a price standpoint like many technical analysis do. In fact, I'll read you something that the Wall Street Journal wrote of his service. MSA looks at the market from a somewhat different point of view. Rather than focusing on price, something that virtually everybody does, MSA tracks momentum, revealing trends that have been building for a long time and have much more depth to them and staying power. That's from the Wall Street Journal, December 25th, Christmas Day. 2015. Michael, welcome back onto the program. And as those of us that are investing in mining stocks, we like to know where the commodity complex is going. What's your breakdown of the momentum you see in the commodities in general? Well, back in October of 2020, the Bloomberg, which Bloomberg Commodity Index is a very well-balanced index, by the way. Some of them are too heavily weighted to energy, but Bloomberg's pretty well-balanced. Uh, you go back and look at 2008 top in Bloomberg. It was two, I think it was 270. Or it was up in the 200s. Then it dropped. And then in 2011, when gold peaked, it was back up to like 170 something. And it dropped down under 60. Think about that. In the year 2020. Okay. Under 60, traded into the 50s. Something that was 200 plus, 100 plus, it was in the 50s. So it was totally decimated. It was nuked off the page. Uh, in fact, we, we called it theoretical zero. And while gold exploded and doubled between 2015 and 20, Bloomberg laid in the mud. And it was slightly eking lower for between 2016 and 20. It then exploded in October. We put out a report in October called Commodity Explosion Coming. And it blew from the, the we, we got bullish at about 70 on the Bloomberg. It went up to 140 by early 2022. So it doubled. So it said, okay, I'm alive. Okay. And it was across the board. It was pretty you know, energy led, but it was also in the grain, the sugar, you, you name the commodity, you could have thrown a dart at it. And it went up nicely. Uh, again, with the energy at the front end on the performance basis. Um, then the war started. Everybody says, oh, the oil price went up because of the war, the food prices went up, the grain went up because of the war, you know, Ukraine couldn't ship it out, all that nonsense. They peaked. About two weeks after the war began is when commodities peaked. The war started late February 2022. Commodities peaked early March 2022. So the, the war didn't cause the upside. It was basically an asset category that was so underpriced, it said, I'm out of here. And it was an inhale. It said, I'm, I'm alive. Okay. Well, it's had a correction. We've come back down under 100. 
And by the way, all during that time, while commodities exploded, gold was plateauing. So the correlation between commodities and gold isn't exactly that great. When gold doubled, commodities were going down. Gold leveled off, commodities exploded. We think they're pretty much back in sync again, though. We think when commodities turn up here, now gold's already turned up as far as we're concerned. It's just playing with some price chartists up at the 2100 level. You get above that, they're gonna, the lid's going to up. But the commodities, if, if you go back a year and a half almost, you can see that most commodities, you could draw a line across and see, oh, they were trading there a year and a half ago. And yet the Fed's taking credit for, quote, curtailing inflation or, or subduing inflation. In fact, commodities had already collapsed from their 140 price level on Bloomberg down into the like a 110, 120 level. No, excuse me, down toward 100 almost before he even started raising rates. So it's, it's anyway, they've leveled off and they built what we think is a momentum base. So we think it's only an issue now. And I'm going to guess based on the momentum structures, probably in the second quarter, meaning what, six, seven weeks from now, you're going to see some upside emergence in the commodities again. I think it's going to be led this time by grains, wheat, corn, and beans. Uh, I can't explain why. I'm just looking at the momentum structures, and they look riper now than does, for example, crude oil. Now, admittedly, natural gas has been beat off the page recently, so it could have a nice percent rebound. But going back to $10 natural gas is something you put off, the, off to the side for now. Michael, right. if I could interject on that point, yes. when you see this setup, like on a probability basis in your no. career, is it like 90% certain? No, it's gonna... almost 100% certain. The only issue is when and at what price level do you trigger the momentum structure? By momentum structure, what we mean is simple. It's the same thing price guys do with a price chart. They draw downtrend lines. They draw horizontal lines. They draw floors under the market. So if you break through these things, they, they consider it to be technically bullish, technically bearish. Well, we look at price, and sometimes prices will be somewhat in sync with momentum, but more often than not, price is lagged to momentum. So if you're going to make a bottom and turn up, usually momentum will turn up before you see the evidence on the price chart. And so you get a clear heads up, you know, a month or two maybe sometimes. Uh, and um, right now, what I see looks like it won't take much of an upside or in corn, wheat, and beans, for example, as of next quarter to start to trigger some bullish structural levels on momentum. And again, if you looked at the momentum charts of the grains, they came down hard and then they'd been sort of in a tunnel coming down still. But momentum's gone flat and it's built like a ceiling. Very clear. If it were a price chart, you'd say, oh boy, you go through that, you're going. Okay. Well, that's what momentum set up. And I think it's going to trigger it. And I think it's probably going to trigger it in the second quarter. And price at that point will then get the message and you'll start to hear headlines for whatever reason that suddenly, oh, corn's looking, wheat's looking good. So I think that's probably where the best place is going to be within the commodity complex, excluding the monetary metals, of course. Does gold have to lead that move or could that move occur without it. gold? I think it already has. I mean, consider that, that commodities, are, they hit 140 in 2022. Okay, Bloomberg. It's now trading under 100. Where's gold? At or higher than it was in 2021, 2022. Okay, so it's... It's doing well. Gold, is, is it doesn't have to lead them. It's already up there, ready to go. Silver has behaved more like commodities, although it's in correlation to gold. While gold went sideways, silver had this arm wrestling, like a tubal decline. It bottomed in 
August of 2022, silver did down around, I think it was $17 or something. Gold was $1,613. From that low, both metals exploded percent-wise. Gold went up well over 2000 Again, silver went from 17 something to almost 27 or 26 at least. A huge percent move. And since then, we've gone into a range again. But well off that low. Well off that low. <clears throat> I think silver's trying to emerge now ahead of gold out of this recent pullback that we've had over the last, let's say, three months especially. Now, there's been an arm wrestling pullback. Especially noticeable in miners. Where silver's gone back down into a range from roughly 22-something to 26-something. Actually, about 22. I'm looking at monthly closes has been in about a $2.20 range for quite a few months now. Miners, on the other hand, have continued to bleed. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, they, they puked. You know, they, they sort of made like a V-bottom type thing or a potential V-bottom, which is what we think it is. We think that puke out we just saw a week or two ago uh, is probably the kind of low you won't linger around much. You, you could come out of here in a sharp, sharp manner. There's some momentum trigger levels on the miners. In fact, we ran uh, Newmont and Barrick couple, uh, two weeks ago. Do you mean the gold miners more so, Mike? Yeah. Michael? Yeah, I'm thinking what, what our view is, is that the next move up in gold, which we think gold is postured below the starting gate, and its starting gate basically is the 2100 level. I think if you get above 2100 again, you're gone. Okay. They've been fighting at the upper 2000s for the last couple months. Do you need a monthly uh, close above 2100? No, no, just, uh, just getting up there. Uh, and in fact, we've got, if you close a week out or 2000, uh, 2115, we've got a 100-week uh, a momentum oscillator, which is like a two-year average oscillator. It has a ceiling you would not believe. In other words, it's far clearer than what you see on gold. Uh, when you, you get up to about 2115 or a weekly close, you're going to leave the earth. Gold will launch. It'll, it'll go from uh, congested behavior to vertical. But I think in that time, you're going to see silver vastly outpace gold. And you'll see the miners come up out of this hole and reprice themselves, you know, back up toward the highs of the last couple of years pretty rapidly. So on a percentage basis, if one were to go long gold now or go long silver, or go long miners, I think those who go long silver and miners in the next upturn will make far more in the, the next several quarters than will gold in terms of percentage gain. Though gold, of course, is the mama market, but the other markets sometimes will take a lead. And I, I think we're at that point now where you might see over the next week or two, gold inching up, whereas the miners go up much sharper percentage in silver is already, it went from under 22 to above 23 in three days last week, okay? Like, I'm not going to die. I'm back, okay? Uh, and I think that, what was that, like a 4% rally, 4 to 5% rally, whereas gold only inched up a percent off its low. So that's the kind of dynamics we think we're facing here. And you think about a two-year move on gold you, as oh, you... I, I don't, you know, it could be. I, I think that the events out there this time are different. You've got to look back at the prior bull markets in gold. They were basically eight-fold moves. You go back to the mid-1970s, gold was $30-something, you know, a fixed price. Unleashed, it went up to 200 then ultimately 850 by 1980. So in nine or, but, uh, seven or eight, nine years, it, it went from the mid 30s to 850. Okay, you do the math. It was enormous. But a lot of that move occurred literally in the last several quarters of the move. 
was the the bull market was sort of arduous arm wrestling, but nice nice upside, and suddenly it just unleashed. And that was when, if you go back and look, for example, on a chart of gold, go back to early uh, 1979, look where gold was, look where it was in early 1980, look at the percent, go back, back and look at a silver chart, early 1979 to 1980. It was like, you know, it beat gold, like quadrupled it in terms of percent gain. So it's at those points of dynamics in the trend in gold, not the arduous arm wrestling process, but when gold starts to go vertical, which we think it's about to, that's when the miners and silver go ballistic. It's as if investors out there who've been denying and denying and not participating in it suddenly say, I got to be in. Okay. Now, we think we're also seeing evidence of that in, in fact, we put out the report last week, it was quite funny. Uh, it was like Wednesday last week, I think it was. We prepared Newmont and Barrick used the U.S. Barrick symbol, G-O-L-D. We ran some momentum charts saying, this is probably the low, but the trigger level's here. And it was only like a buck or two above where each of them were. And the next day, we heard the news, uh, you know, that Druckenmiller had dumped some tech stocks and gone in big time in Newmont and Barrick. We did not know that, but obviously he was sensing something that we saw in the charts. What if that happened to more and more asset managers who've neglected that sector? And we think there's also a good inverse correlation to watch right now between the stock market and gold. Look what the stock market's done since December when the Fed minutes came out. It's partied. Yes, tech led, but a lot of, lot of market, a lot of sectors within the market also went up, not to new highs, but had a nice move. Fairly dynamic, in fact. And the S&P and NASDAQ managed to actually nudge out their 2022 price high by single percentages. But it was dynamic. Look what happened to gold since December. Look what happened to T-bonds since December. They went down. Down in price in T-bonds, up in yield. Down in gold. You know, went from above 2100 down toward, well, we traded 1990-something last week. Now back to 2030. They went down while stocks went up. <clears throat> now, you know, stock, most gold investors think, oh, if the stock market goes down, gold's going down. No, that correlation is minuscule correlation. You go back in history. You don't even think it'll go halfway down the drop and <laughs> nope, then shoot back nope, up I, like 20? I think they're directly, almost directly, weekly, inversely correlated now. Now, sometimes on hourlies, for example, last week we had a Fed report or a market report that would impact the Fed supposedly. It spooked the stock market and spooked gold on the same day. That can happen. But in terms of week to week, month to month, we think they're inverse now. And if you stand back and look since December to the present, you'll see in T-bonds and gold, it's been a downward process. And in S&P and NASDAQ, it's been an upward process. Therefore, we're watching the S&P and NASDAQ for a downturn, particularly NASDAQ 100, because that's where all the leadership is positioned in the front end of that index. We think when they snap, we could see evidence of that this week, by the way, initial evidence. We put out specific numbers in our reports. <clears throat> we bet you could throw a dart at gold at that point. It'll, it'll be turning up as well, inverse to S&P and NASDAQ. Now, this gets back to the issue of the miners. A lot of portfolio managers have in the past been in miners, usually the larger name miners. They don't, you, know, you can't fiddle with the little juniors. Might get sued by your investors. You know. So... <clears throat> What happens if more Druckenmillers out there suddenly see why I should be in gold or the gold miners? 
What's the reason? The reason being, one, the stock market is not sustainable, and the Fed's going to have to ultimately panic no matter how tough they try to act. They're going to have to panic. We've got too many problems out there, like the commercial real estate market, which is a disaster bubble waiting to happen. A lot of people are aware of that, but people are ignoring it too. <clears throat> if that starts to unfold, we know what they got to do. They got to go to monetary excess again, and that's that's the underpinnings of gold, okay? And <clears throat> what if large asset managers target this little tiny sector called gold and silver miners and start to move you know, a couple billion dollars over to it here and there? Wow, it's like a wet bar of soap. And so that would explain why the technicals are set up now in the miner is such that with this vortex low we just made a week or so ago, we started to come up out of it. <clears throat> why it could explode. One, it's sold out. Two, it's vastly cheap historically relative to gold and relative to stock market. And two, suddenly other asset managers want to own it. That's a dynamic I think that's pending. Michael, um, I was talking to a sophisticated investor recently, and he told me about one of his high net worth friends who follows you closely and invests according to a lot of your guidance. And so you're respected by many. On the flip side of that, there's people that say, I get this on YouTube all the time. You talk about gold going to the moon, or I think you said leaving the earth. And they're like, man, you guys have been saying that forever. You got, you guys are without shame. For those people that take that critique, and there, there have been things that we've put out there to where we said we thought it would have happened by now. What do you say to the people that are kind of skeptical because they point out, well, you said yeah. this should have occurred already? Unfortunately, a lot of those people came in late. We got bullish on gold at eleven hundred and forty dollars in February 2016, based on a massive annual momentum base breakout to the upside. Gold from 1100 and something to 1350 in a heartbeat. Says I'm alive. Okay, the bull market started. Bull markets in gold sometimes last a decade. Okay. We're now in the eighth, ninth year, okay, starting into the ninth year. Well, 16, 17, 18, 19, 21, okay, et cetera. We began at early 16. Gold's only doubled, but in those prior bull markets, like from the uh, 2000 to 2011, for example, gold went from $255 to 1920 much of that occurring in the last year. Uh, silver also went back to 50 again, much of that occurring in the last year. Uh, so we think that this holding pattern that we've seen is not, a lot of people thought it was like the 2011 peak, where gold made a peak, dropped, and then went into a range for about a year or so, and then collapsed. This time it went up. We kept coming back up to the high. That should have happened. Gold never tops with multiple peaks at the same level. It peaks with isolated highs. Kept coming back, kept coming back. Yes, it's been restrained, but if you were a long-term investor in gold, we've had several entry points. The first one in 16, we had one in late 2018 as it came up through about, uh, hit 1300 again, zoomed. We had a break in that March 2020 break, the COVID nonsense. Just above 1400 we said, okay, buy more. But since then, it's not been a good time to buy. So a lot of people who bought high, especially the miners, bought high. They didn't buy early in 2020 near those lows. They bought in the summer of 2020, and they'd been baked for three years. You know, they lost half their money almost. Uh, that's what miners do. But gold hasn't pulled back. If you're a long-term, quote, long-term gold investor, you're sitting there saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm stalled, but I'm not breaking down. I'm a 2030 gold, you know, hanging in here. So 
I think it's to some extent, where did they get positioned? Now, yes, admittedly, the range has been wider than we thought it would be. But I still argue that gold will likely resolve in a way that is very dramatic, percentage-wise. <clears throat> One of our metrics in our weekend report we just showed was that 100-week momentum chart of gold. And we did a, you could, when you look at the momentum chart, it's a massive head and shoulder bottom. When you look at gold, you don't see that. You just see this range. But on momentum, it's like a three-year wide neckline. And if you take the dimensions of the momentum base and swing it up, it suggests you could take the first thrust up to 2550 to 2600 that quickly. Now, you know, that's not that big of a deal. It's 30% rally in gold. But for silver, you'd probably double or triple. Well, for the miners, that would be huge from miners, a margin perspective. Even if they just went back to their highs, is a double. And I could easily see that happening. So I think it's an issue for investors to recognize where did I enter? Was it optimal? Uh, and and that's, that's a big issue. And yes, gold has been stalled for a long time up here. But it keeps, it keeps coming back to the same level, in fact, to a higher level now. We're living mostly above the 2020-2022 highs. So um, I think that's an issue. But I think the timing of it is getting very close now. And again, I think it's probably going to be inverse almost week by week to the stock market. So watch the stock market. There's some levels this week on the stock market. You cannot have, for example, this week, the NASDAQ, NASDAQ 100, which is 17,700 area right now. You better not see 17,400, 17,300 on the NASDAQ 100. We've got some metrics that will break a trend trend structure going back to uh, a year or so. Major momentum. You don't see it on the price chart, but momentum says you cannot stall. If you stalled, you're going to break down. And I think at that point, that's when you're going to see gold start to move again. And hence, the silver and the miners start to go vortex. What is Dr. Copper speaking to you? Dr. Copper is fit with the Bloomberg Commodity Index. <clears throat> it has structures above to trigger. They're not all that far above in terms of price levels. We publish those monthly, and sometimes we update even more often as to what number on price will break through a momentum structure to signal upside resumption. Uh, and and it, it, those adjust down generally every month, especially every quarter. And so I think copper will fully participate in the next up leg in commodities, but it's more correlated to the Bloomberg than it is to gold in terms of what it's doing in price. Uh, and I think it'll be a full participant, no question about it. It looks looks like pending dynamics there. But uh, I don't think it's going to be correlated directly to when gold engages. It may be a month later. Uh but I think in general, if the next up leg in gold will be possibly lagged a bit, but generally reflected in the commodity complex, uh, much like, for example, back in the late 70s, a gold made a low in uh, 76, summer of 76, uh, and gone from 200 to 103, okay, 75 to 76, and it turned up. And it wasn't until mid-77 that the CRB index then started to wake up and join gold. But it did fully join gold in those final years of the stagflation period. The world was in a recession, depression. Yes, commodities exploded along with gold. Uh, I think this time commodities will be generally correlated to gold. Michael, you wrote your master's thesis, if I recall correctly, on a political perspective. What, what's your commentary? That's one thing the markets might not be factoring in. We're in an election year here in the States. 
as we conclude, uh, what, what is your commentary about what's going on in the world and how it affects markets? Well, that master's thesis, not that my book is out there, you can see it. I published it in 2013, but wrote it in 70, 1972. I knew Murray Rothbard at the time. <clears throat> uh, he was the, the intellectual founder of what we call the modern libertarian movement now. He passed away in 1996, uh, 93. Uh, and uh, I labeled the thesis anarcho-capitalism. I didn't think anybody else had used that word at that point. I found out a year later that he had, Rothbard had actually written a paper and used that phrase in the paper, but I was second to use that phrase. And uh, now we have a president in Argentina who declares he's what? Not a libertarian, not free market, anarcho-capitalist. I found that quite interesting. Uh, anyway, I think what's being neglected by investors, especially in the stock market, is they, they look at all these data points and you know this, that, and the other nonsense stuff as far as I'm concerned try to interpret the uh, mysticism of the Fed. They're not looking at politics. Politics is normally an orderly process in the U.S. It has been all pretty much during my lifetime. You know, where, well, the Democrats win, they control, maintain power for a couple terms, and the Republicans do it, and so forth and so on. They alternate, but there's no real chaos in the, in the process. It's orderly. It's copacetic. Uh, and they, yeah, they compete with each other, and they use loud words, but that's about it. It's not going to be that way this time. And I'm not going to take sides. I'm just looking as an outside observer. University of Virginia Department of Politics put out a paper, I think it was in October or August, after they polled many Democrats and many Republicans and asked them some surgical-type questions that sometimes overlapped their intent to try to find out something. And one of the questions was, uh, you know, to the Democrats, if, if the Republicans win, uh, and same to the Republicans, if the other side wins, uh, is that justifying anything? And yeah, violence. It was like 30% on both sides said violence if the other side wins this time. Not that they're mad, violence, okay? Then this, uh, a similar term came up in the questionnaire about the same percentage ratio on both sides. The other side wins, secession. You know, you haven't heard that since you were in high school, you know, studying American history, okay? That term is now coming back. Uh, in fact, in Texas, there's a movement now, the uh, Texas Secessionist Movement, which I understand is gaining in popularity, and I think there's something on the ballot this this fall, uh, the next election ballot, about the, the question of secession. So this term has been used. And so don't be shocked. Whichever side wins, the other side's not going to like it. Uh, we know if, the, if Trump loses, there's talk of secession. There's already states talking about creating their own currencies, gold-backed currencies. Arizona's talking about it. Texas, uh, Alaska just legalized silver and gold as legal tender. Okay, in effect, that's a secession away from the U.S. dollar. If more than more of this happens, the Federal Reserve, in effect, is having the ground cut out from under it. So people start using Bitcoin or start using gold and silver equivalents and not using dollars, then their power over the money unit diminishes and diminishes. So it's almost a revolution on that side, of the, on the monetary issue. But there's also the political issue. And I think no matter which side wins, you're going to see stuff like you didn't imagine. Uh, turn to the sort of the left side of the spectrum, CNN, uh, CNBC. Trump is called almost repeatedly a dictator or authoritarian. It's a common term to apply to him. Uh, they fully accept the notion if he's elected, we have an authority, we've ended democracy. Okay. Well, if you believe that and you've never been in the streets before, 
but you believe that Trump is Hitler and he gets elected, what do you do? Do you sit back and say, well, I'll wait for four years and vote in the next election? Are you so mad because he's Hitler, Hitler, right? And that's how he's been defined. What do you do? Do you do something unusual? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. In other words, we're sitting at a point now where no matter which side wins, it's not going to be copacetic. And yet that is not a discussion in the markets about what does it mean for various markets. So what's the hedge? Gold? You bet. Land? Land. Gold and farmland. Yeah. Especially farmland. Not not, not city land. <laughs> not skyscrapers. Uh, you can buy those for a million bucks. Now, I understand there's one for sale in St. Louis that used to be the largest skyscraper in the city that's now for sale, but nobody wants it <laughs> for a couple million bucks. Whoa. <laughs> farmland. Yeah. Farmland. Your yeah. website's olivermsa.com. I mentioned a little bit about your website at the beginning, but Michael, as we sign off, uh, remind listeners what they can find there, please. Well, we cover all four asset categories uh, in our 360 report. Uh, that's the bond markets, stock markets, including global markets, commodities, emphasis gold, and foreign exchange. Uh, so you get a full vista of you know what are these icebergs doing, bumping into each other and so forth. Uh, and I think that's an important way to see the markets. So, uh, you know, go on the site and request some samples. Uh, we'd be happy to send them. Excellent. Well, really a great check uh, checking in with you again, and we'll talk to you soon again. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.